got all these books walking up here with all these books. You're in for it tonight. No, I'm just kidding. I was actually, I wanted to carry that hymn book up because, man, what a song, right? Amen. Sometimes I'm guilty of just going through the motions. Do you ever find yourself doing that? Just kind of, it's just church time, so we just got to sing a hymn and we got to sing a few verses of it. But did you, did you notice what you were singing at the end of the chorus every single time? I mean, that's, a, that's an altar call, isn't it? My life I give henceforth to live, O Christ, for thee alone. Man, now here's my question for you. And I, I think about this for myself, so I'm going to ask you too. Did you mean it? Yeah. Man, that's a big commitment, isn't it? And you just told Jesus that four times in a row. He's going to hold you to it. Man, it's a, and that's a great commitment, but it's a big one. And hopefully the book of Revelation will encourage you on that, on that endeavor. I'm going to go over here and grab my phone real quick because I told Ann, I appreciate you praying for Kara. Many of you know Kara has a history of having seizures. And she's been acting just a little bit weird today. She's had a few episodes today that look like, kind of like mini seizures. And so you pray for Anna. She's a little bit anxious and nervous at home, uh, but we're thankful that Kara is in the Lord's hands, amen, yeah. and we, we trust him, and so and we thank him for her health and the little bubbly personality that she has, and as we were reminded this morning in Sunday school, there's a reason for everything, right, and so we give thanks even in the difficult yeah. moments, and thankful that she is 99.9% of the time extremely healthy, all right, so you pray for little Kara tonight, she doesn't know what's going on, and a little bit confused, but appreciate your prayers for her. Revelation chapter 1. There are 404 verses in Revelation, if I've counted right. And tonight, I want to get through three. Okay, so if you do the math, that means we need about 135 sermons to get through the book. Of Re- no, I'm just kidding. We won't, we won't do that, all right? But for a reason, I want to go slow through the beginning. Um. Just like it's true in every, um, every book of the Bible that we have, often the beginning sets the stage, right? Last week, we sort of generally introduced it to you. I didn't, I didn't hold anything back. I told you last week was just hopefully just to whet your appetite and get you interested and excited about it, though hopefully the information you received was valuable and biblical. But tonight, we're going to actually start going through the book. Somebody asked me, how are you planning to do this? Are you going to go verse by verse? And yeah, that's my, that's my plan. Um, some verses will be more um, detailed, like tonight. Some verses will probably go through pretty quickly. But I think you cannot overemphasize the beginning of a book. It really does set the stage for the rest of the book, and especially in the book of Revelation. Let's just read the first three verses. You, read, uh, you follow along with me. I'll read it silently, okay? Or I'll read it out loud. You follow along with me. Yeah, I'll read silently, and you read silently. <laughs> All right, go. I'm just kidding. All right, I'll read out loud, and you read silently with me, okay? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Let's pray, all right? 
Father, as we come to this time tonight to open your word together, I pray that you would, Lord, speak to our hearts. I pray we would see, Lord, one thing tonight we would see is how every single word of God is important. But Father, I pray we would also help us to learn tonight so we can, even in our own minds, Father, set the stage for what we're going to be studying in the next months. And Lord, may we go beyond the point of just curiosity and um, just questions. May we go beyond that, Lord, to truly desiring to have a deeper walk with you and to put into practice in our lives what we just sang. That, Father, from this point on, we're living our lives for you. And if there is one thing that we will see over and over and over again, Lord, we will be reminded that one day we will stand before the holy, holy God of heaven. Lord, the God who is perfect. Lord, the God who is omnipotent. Lord, the God who knows everything about our lives. And yet, in spite of our sin, Lord, he loved us. And so, Lord, I pray that tonight would you set the stage for this study through your word. Thank you for every book of the Bible, and especially for this one. Thank you that you have told us the end of the story to give us hope and encouragement when days get dark and situations and circumstances around us grow dim. Lord, thank you that we know the end of the story. And so help it to be an encouragement to us and a challenge and motivation to us. In Jesus' name, amen. One, um, one commentator of the book of Revelation called it this, Back to the Future. All right, You know what uh, Back to the Future is, right? It's an old movie about a kid who goes back in time, and, and, or goes into the future, I mean, and he gets to see what's going to happen. But this is the biblical sense of Back to the Future, right? We're going back 2,000 years, approximately, 1,900 years, so that we can go to the future, right? So we can see what God has to say about what's going to happen And tonight, we're just going to look at the introduction. I really want you to just get four things tonight, okay, out of these first three verses, and we're just going to go through them slowly, all right? Number one is this. John gives us the description of this book in the very first verse, all right? He describes for us, in a general sense, what it is that we're going to be doing and experiencing and seeing as we read through the book of Revelation. So look at verse one with me, all right? The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him. You say, well, that's a little bit strange, isn't it? The very first verse of Revelation chapter 1, here's God giving something to Jesus. And it could cause confusion, right? I mean, goodness gracious, I thought Jesus was God, and he is. So what's happening? You know, I think this is interesting that in the book of Revelation, the very first verse reminds us that right now, today, Jesus is still fulfilling the role of the intercessor, Right? He is our great high priest. He is the one that goes between man and God while we live on this earth. And even in the the verbiage of verse 1, that picture is painted, isn't it? Except it's coming back from the other direction. It's not us taking our prayers to God. It's God sending his message back to us, and he brings it to us through his son, Jesus Christ, through Jesus using an angel, a messenger, to bring us back this wonderful news that we're about to get. But that's not the point. I just want to reemphasize for you again tonight, the description of this book that John gives us in verse 1 is this. Number one, it's a book that reveals. It's a book 
that reveals, all right? I say, you say, well, you said that last week. I know, but I don't think it can be overly emphasized because most people think it's a book that is confusing and that hides. And again, as we said last Sunday night, it is a book that is, man, we see darkly, we see imagery, we see symbolism, and all of that's there, but it's meant to reveal to us the truth about what's going to happen in the future. And, and by the way, aren't people interested in the future? I just saw a news article, maybe you did too, about, I think it was a sheriff's, uh, a sheriff at a sheriff's department yesterday or Friday who, um, he went to a psychic, maybe this is part of his normal routine, and the psychic said something like, um, you're going to find a missing child soon. Okay, well, first of all, what kind of telling the future is that? You're going to find a missing child soon. Okay, well, if you work in the law enforcement community and you work especially in any kind of city, I could be a psychic and tell you that, right? You're going to find a missing child. So, well, guess what happened? He found a missing child, and it just so happened it was on the same day, or I think it's the same day, the psychic told him. So, you know what? They wrote news articles about it. Oh, my goodness, the sheriff went to the psychic, and the psychic told him that he was going to find a missing child, and it happened. So, this psychic's probably making a whole lot of money today. But the point is, people are interested in the future, aren't they? Here's the thing about Christians. We've been given a book that tells us what's going to happen in the future. And you know what? Sometimes we sort of, and I get it, sometimes when you read the Gospels, we sort of throw the the Israelites under the bus, right? Because we're, we're sitting there reading it and we're going, how did you not see this, right? How did you not see that this was Jesus, all this fulfilled prophecy, And they missed it, except here's the problem that sometimes I think we have today. Sometimes I think we aren't realizing how close to the end that we are. Because we have a book that tells us so many things about the end. And the point of that isn't just for us to go, oh man, that's neat. It's supposed to change the way we live our lives, isn't it? And so the book is meant to reveal the truth to us. And it's it's even, it shouts it from the first verse. Look at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to, what's the next word? To show unto his servants things that must shortly come to pass. Now, take your Bible and look over at the very last chapter of Revelation with me, will you? Revelation 22, verse number 10. Revelation number 10. Chapter 22, Revelation, verse number 10. John gets to the end of the Revelation, right, end of the message, and here's what he says to John. Verse 10, And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Why? For the time is at hand. You say, what's the big deal about that? How many members a statement similar to that, but opposite in the book of Daniel? Remember the book of Daniel? You don't have, I'm not going to turn there for time, but if you want to write down the reference, Daniel chapter number 12, verse number 4. And I believe he says it in Daniel 12, verse 9 as well. He says, Daniel, I'm going to show you some prophecies about the future. But here's what he tells Daniel. He says, but seal up the prophecies of this book because the time isn't yet. Right? The time will be coming. In other words, here's the only reason I'm mentioning that. Jesus gave us this book Because he wants us to know right now, we have the wonderful privilege of living on the earth in a time when Jesus wants us to know details about what's going to happen in the future. 
so that we can be more faithful and more committed and, by the way, have more determination in the midst of difficulty to serve him like ever before. Um, You have seen, like I have this past week in the state of Virginia, all these laws that are coming through, I mean, just sort of barreling through, right? And we are starting to feel a little bit of pressure, aren't we, in the state of Virginia when it comes to uh, abortion. And how many of you saw this week they're trying to legislate that you cannot, even your own children, that you are not allowed to talk to your children and to, um, what's, the, what's the conversion therapy? Is that the word that they're using? I can't convert my children from a homosexual lifestyle. I mean, we're only one step away from them coming to you and saying, don't you, you can't tell your kids that he's a boy or she's a girl. Now, here's the reason I mention that. We see things like that happening, and rightfully so, it makes us very anxious, doesn't it? But here's the, one of the reasons God gives us the book of Revelation is even as we see these things happening around us, those things don't consume us, right? Because we know the end. Man, we ought to fight for that. We ought to vote against that. We ought to do everything in our power to, to stop that flood of sin, right? But it shouldn't consume us because we know the end. It's been revealed to us in the book of Revelation what is coming. And the point of Revelation is to show us what it is. Hey, think about this for a minute. When Jesus came the first time, he revealed himself to us, didn't he? But not in this way. In fact, Matthew chapter 1 says he shall be called Emmanuel, right? God with us. He revealed himself to us, but in the way that Isaiah 53 prophesied that he would reveal himself, right? As a root out of dry ground. Boy, as this little infant child. And maybe we could say this, he revealed himself humiliation, didn't he? Folks, listen, when Jesus reveals himself the second time, it will not be in humiliation. It will be exaltation. This will not be the babe in the manger. This will be the king of kings and lord of lords. I want to read you something real quick from a, one author. His name is W.A. Criswell. He's a longtime pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, and here's what he says. The first time our Lord came into this world, he came in the veil of our flesh. His deity was covered over with his manhood. His Godhead was hidden by his humanity. Just once in a while did his deity shine through as on the Mount of Transfiguration or as in his miraculous works and miracles. But most of the time, the glory, the majesty, the deity, the wonder, and the marvel of the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, was veiled. These attributes were covered over in flesh. In our humanity, he was born in a stable, grew up in poverty. He knew what it was to hunger and thirst. He was buffeted and beaten and bruised. He was crucified and raised up as a felon before the scoffing gaze of the whole earth. The last time that this world saw Jesus was when it saw him hanging in shame, misery, and anguish upon the cross. Yes, he later appeared to a few of his disciples, but the last time that this unbelieving world ever saw Jesus was when it saw him die as a malefactor, as a criminal crucified on a Roman cross. But then, is that all the world is ever to see of our Savior? Dying in shame on a cross? No. It is also a part of the plan of God that someday this unbelieving, this blaspheming, this godless world shall see the Son of God in his full character and glory and majesty in the full-orbed wonder and marvel of his Godhead. Then all men shall look upon him as he really is. Amen. 
When Jesus comes the second time, it will not be in humiliation. It will be in exaltation. And so this book, number one, is meant to reveal. But number two, this book is meant to be a book of prophecy. And we know that, right? Look at verse one again, will you? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. All right? It is a book of prophecy. Look at verse three. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy. And we know what that means. It means it's telling future events. But this is what separates this book from the other New Testament books, isn't it? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are books of the past. Jesus' actions when he was on the earth acts as a book of transition that takes us from Christ into the church age. And then the next 21 books of the Bible are, are, are applicable right now. And certainly the, the Gospels and Acts are as well. But all of these uh, books that Peter writes and Paul writes are meant to be for us supplied now. But Revelation from chapter 4 verse 1 all the way to the end is all prophecy. And so it's setting the stage for what's coming down the road. Now here's what I want to talk to you about just for a minute. How should we interpret the book of Revelation? Um, and, and I want to ask that, that, to think about that by asking you this question. How was the prophecy of Jesus' birth eventually revealed? Literally, right? In other words, Jesus literally came to a place called Bethlehem and he literally was born in a stable and he was literally born in a manger and he literally went to Egypt and came out of Egypt. And so we interpret the prophecies of Christ's birth literally. Um, We interpret the prophecies of Christ's crucifixion literally, right? Um, You say, well, there's so much symbolism and, and figures in Revelation that, I mean, are we really supposed to take much of this literally? And the answer is yes. There's symbolism through all prophecy, right? Think about this for a minute. John the Baptist sees Jesus coming across the field. He says, behold the Lamb of God, right? It wasn't a lamb. It was Jesus. It's symbolism, right? But it represented something about what Jesus was going to do. He wasn't a lamb, but he was the one that would go be crucified and be the, 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 the lamb that would take away our sins forever, And so the only reason I bring that up is this. There are those that would say, well, this prophecy is different. This is all symbols and figures and it just represents. But listen, much of the, certainly there's those things in the book of Revelation. We understand that. But the prophecies that this book gives us about Jesus are meant to be taken literally. When it says Jesus is going to come back to this earth, folks, listen, that's what he's going to do. It's not a symbol of judgment. It's not a symbol. It's Jesus coming back to the earth literally as he did when he came to the manger and as he literally went to the cross. Um, It's a book that is prophecy, but then let me move on. Number three, it's a book that must come to pass. You say, man, you are splitting these verses apart. I think it's important. Why does it say in verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Well, I think we told you last week, or maybe it was, I think it was last week, 278 verses of Revelation referred to Old Testament prophecy. Now think about it for a minute. What's a sign in the Old Testament of a prophet? How do you know if somebody's really a prophet? If it doesn't come true... It's not a prophet, 
right? So in other words, Jesus even wants to emphasize to you and me, listen, this isn't maybe what's going to happen in the future. Not only is this what's going to happen, this is what has to happen in the future. Now, there's a lot of things to take from that, right? That means God is going to do, by the way, this is one of the most comforting truths in Scripture to Christians, isn't it? God does what God says he's going to do. Boy, the reason that you can go home and lay your head on your pillow tonight and go to sleep knowing your eternity is secure is because of what God said. Somebody said it, I think it was at the meeting yesterday, I think it was, or maybe it was this morning, Micah said, I've never seen Jesus. I've never actually seen God except through the eyes of faith. And we take him at his word. (laughs) And the reason we do that is because everything he's ever said he would do, he's done. And so when we come to the book of Revelation, it is going to happen. Even if all we had was Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, it's going to happen. But we have verses all over the Old Testament that tell us this is what Jesus is going to do. He is going to do it, and he's going to do it soon. And that takes us to letter D. It's a book that is reveals, that's prophecy, that must come to pass, and it must come to pass soon. Look at verse 1 again, will you? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Now, there's a debate among theologians, right, about what what do I mean by soon? Well, some say, well, soon is the word that means quickly. In other words, uh, when Jesus comes, it's going to be, is that true? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Well, that's true. And so, when this book of Revelation starts, and you know this, much of the book of Revelation is going to take place in a relatively short period of seven years. Now, I guess from our side, sometimes, well, man, seven years seems like a long time. But now when you start reading everything that's going to happen in seven years, man, it is boom, 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 especially, I mean, we're talking about worldwide cataclysmic events. So absolutely, it's true that when Jesus comes, it's going to happen quickly. But is that all he meant when he said it's going to happen soon? Well, I don't believe it is. In fact, most of the time that the word that's translated shortly here is used, especially in the book of Revelation, it has not to do so much with how something's going to happen, but when it's going to happen. In other words, it's the word that we throw around in church is the word imminent, right? Did the Apostle Paul think when he wrote to the church, New Testament churches that Jesus could come in his lifetime? Did he, he did. In fact, you read that. He talks to them, he's warning them, be ready now. Did, was the Apostle Paul just tricking him? I know, I know it's really going to be way out in the future. No, he really believed. And, and more than that, here's the point. Jesus could have come back any time in human history. He could have arranged human events at any point that he chose. True? He could do anything he wants. So here's the big question that people ask, though, right? So wait a minute, Pastor Tim. If John wrote this book 2,000 years ago, And we say that he did. And he said something's supposed to come to pass shortly. Why are we still here? Which, by the way, aren't you thankful we're still here? Because 
Dad said, man, if he hadn't come back, what was the year you got saved? Man, 1964, Dad would have been. So I'm thankful he hasn't come yet, aren't you? But the question people ask is, well, and by the way, this is oftentimes why people want to reinterpret Revelation. Well, that's what he told John that it was going to happen shortly, but it's been almost 2,000 years. Take your Bible for just a minute and go to the book of 2 Peter, will you? Because listen, if people 2,000 years later have questions, there were even people that had questions in Peter's day. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, and look at verse 1. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying... Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflow with water perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. See, one of the reasons we struggle when we read Revelation chapter 1 verse 1 and go, man, it's been 1900 years. Soon? Is it going to happen shortly? There are people that had been on the earth just a few years after Jesus. And they were asking the same questions, right? Oh, man, people have been saying Jesus is going to return ever since he died and supposedly rose from the grave, right? So people were saying. Here's what Peter says, listen. He says, don't be ignorant like them. He says, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day with the Lord. In other words, can we put it? In God's perspective, it hadn't even been two days yet. See, we operate in time, don't we? And, and, and that's the only way we can operate. We get up a certain time, we go to work, we come home, we cook dinner, we go to bed. We, we live in some ways we're controlled by time. But listen, God isn't controlled by time. And by the way, think of it this way as well. To me, this is just common sense. Um, how many of you like football? Okay, Five of us. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, may, that may be good, all right? Um, next Sunday night's the big Super Bowl, right? Come to church. Okay, Super Bowl doesn't start till 6.30. You can go home and watch Super Bowl if you want. But come to church. Um, if you watch a football game or any kind of sporting event, you will watch first three quarters. You'll get to the end of the third quarter. And as the fourth quarter starts, you almost always hear some kind of comment by the commentator about something like this. All right, this is their last chance, right? They better do it quick if they're going to do it. If they're going to come back, they got to do it now. Why are they saying that? You say, well, wait a minute, there's 15 minutes left in the football game. But we're in the last quarter, right? So in other words, even though there's still a lot of game left to be played, 
when you're in the last quarter, time's running out. Okay, when you think about the scale of human history, folks, we're in the last quarter, right? Yes, it's been 1,000, 1,900 years, but we're in the last quarter, even if you just literally divide up human history, we're in the last quarter. And listen, I'm going to tell you exactly why Jesus hasn't come back. You know why I can tell you that? Because he tells us. Look at verse 9. First Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Remember what we just said? Verse 1 said, the things which must come to pass. Jesus hasn't changed his mind. He hasn't got another plan. He's not following plan B. He is going to come back. He is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. He's long-suffering. Keep reading. He's long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. As a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the long, listen to this, and account, come to this conclusion, that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Listen, I'm going to tell you why Jesus hasn't come back yet. Because he is merciful. Because he is merciful. Because God's heart is to send his son to save wicked men. But folks, listen. He is coming soon. He is coming soon. Chapter 1, verse 1, describes this book. It is a prophecy. It is meant to reveal to us. It is to show us what must happen and what must happen soon. Number two tonight. Number one, description of the book. Number two, the credentials of the writer. The credentials of the writer. Look at verse 2. Look at the end of verse 1. And look at the beginning of verse 2. He sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Who, and here's a description of John, right? Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Um, what is it that gives us that would cause us to step back and listen to what somebody has to say very carefully. If you were in a courtroom and a witness got on the stand and said, well, I heard so-and-so say that they heard so-and-so say that they saw so-and-so do so-and-so. Is that a good, is that a good witness? Well, in a recent impeachment trial, that sounded pretty good, didn't it? But anyway, sorry, should have gone there. But let me ask you a question. If somebody gets on the stand and says this, hey, I knew so-and-so, and and I I saw the way they lived their life. In fact, I saw what they did with my own eyes. That's something different, isn't it? See, here's John's credentials. In verse 2, John says, number one, he says, 
I bear record of the word of God. See, what does that mean? John heard from God himself, didn't he? That's different. John received a message straight. And by the way, it wasn't just on this one occasion, was it? Man, we don't have time to go back there, but write these verses down. Wait to John chapter 1, verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 14. John says about earlier in his life, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father. In other words, here's what John's doing. John starts off his letter and says, this is what this book's about, and this is the one, I'm the one writing it, that's why you better do verse number three. He's not puffed up, but he's saying, listen, here's my credentials. Number one, I personally heard and bear record of the word of God. But not just that. Number two, he says in verse two, I didn't just hear what God said. Look at verse number two. And of the testimony of Jesus Christ. You know what John got to do that we don't get to do? He got to hear from God. He got to see Jesus Christ live on this earth. He got to testify to seeing Jesus Christ, both in John and here in the book of Revelation. Boy, I want to hear what this guy has to say about Jesus if he got to watch him while he was on this earth. I want to hear what he has to say about Jesus if he got to hear directly from God himself. And then, of course, number three, the end of verse two says, and of all things that he saw. Of all things that he saw. He had special vision from God, and of course that's revelation, right? That's so much of this imagery that we're going to see in the days and, and the weeks to come. But here's his credentials. And by the way, you know what I think, remember last week we said there's, there's, I'm not sure why, but there's an argument about which John this is. I think another thing John's doing in verse 2 is making sure everybody knows who this is. Hey, this is the John that walked to Jesus and talked to Jesus and saw Jesus and heard from Jesus. And his small special vision from God. His name is on the book, right? By the way, you know, it's interesting. Look down at verse number nine. We're almost done. Stay with me just a minute longer. John in verse nine says this about himself. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom of, and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for, look at the two things he mentions, the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Oh, that's interesting. It's the same exact thing he says in verse 3. In other words, my credentials that I give you in verse 2 have been proven. That's the very reason I'm on this island. Is because I have stood for the word of God. I have stood for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He says, Here, listen to what I'm saying. I've heard from God directly. And so God gives us in Revelation 1, the description of the book. Revelation 2, the credentials of the writer of the book. And number 3, he gives us the blessing of the reader. And I didn't go through my outline, did I? Sorry about that. There's the three things I just said. Did you get them all written down? I just keep going, all right? If you need those, come see me afterwards, all right? Number 3, the blessing of the reader. Description of the book, the credentials of the writer, and the blessing of the reader. See, verse 2, he tells us why we should hear what he has to say, right? I saw Jesus. I heard from Jesus. God gave me special visions about the future. I got to see what's going to happen. And so now, verse number 3, he comes to you and me, and he says this. 
Here's the purpose of this book. This is why you should listen to me. And this is what God promises, if you will. Verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. You know what's neat about verse 3? One, one writer said this is a first century church service. You see what it says in the, in the text? Somebody's reading, and everybody else is what? Listening. Hey, listen. Dad preached a whole message this morning about the privilege of having this in our hands. And it is a privilege, isn't it? In the first century church, that was not the case. Most people sitting out there didn't have this. The only time they got to hear the word of God was when they came and listened to the preacher read it. And so Jesus says, blessed is he that reads. And by the way, now we're doubly responsible, right? Because we have the book that we can read ourselves and hear it. And they that keep it. And boy, if you study through Revelation... We're not going to have time to go through all this tonight. Read the book, hear the book, heed the book, right? That's what verse number three says. There's actually seven blessings. You may want to jot those things down if you like studying outside of church time. There's seven specific blessings, blessings mentioned in the book of Revelation. It might be a neat, uh, neat extra study if you want to do that. But it kind of brings up an interesting topic about the book of Revelation, right? The number seven. Number seven is used in the book of Revelation 50 different times. Um, if you study through the Bible, the number seven pops out all over the place, doesn't it? Where's the first place the number seven pops out? Anybody know? What's that? that in this book, you mean? The first time in the Bible is what I'm referring to. Genesis, right? The end of creation. God finishes the earth on six days, and on the seventh day, he rests, Right? Now, as our speaker reminded us yesterday, did he do that because he was tired? He's given us a pattern, isn't he? In other words, God finishes, he completes creation in seven days. When you go through the book, when you go through the Bible, the number seven is used to represent completion over and over and over again. Think about this just for a minute. I'm not going to have time to give you all this, but in the book of Revelation... There are seven churches, seven blessings, seven spirits, seven candlesticks, seven stars, seven lamps, seven seals, seven horns, seven eyes, seven angels, seven trumpets, seven thunders, seven heads, seven crowns, seven angels. I already said angels, sorry. We'll just put them in there twice. Seven years, seven vials, seven mountains, seven kings, and it's used 50 different times in the book. You say, well, is it really that big of a deal? I think it is. This is kind of a side note, I guess. You can put it in parentheses, that's fine. The Bible doesn't, there's no verse you're going to go to and it's going to say in black and white, the reason that I put all those sevens in there is for this reason. But listen, God uses symbolism all through the scripture, doesn't he? He uses a rainbow as a symbol and a reminder of God's promise. He uses bread as a symbol, doesn't he? For many things throughout the Bible. And one that's not so evident, but I think is so neat, is the number seven. Because if seven beginning at the beginning of creation represents fulfillment, completion, why would he stamp it all the way through the book of Revelation? Unless he's trying to give us a symbol, a representation. What would that be? This is the end. This is the fulfillment. 
This is the completion. This is the finish. And that's what he said at the end of verse 3, isn't it? Look at it with me and we'll be done. The time is at hand. What time is that? Folks, listen. The clock is ticking down. The fourth quarter is in session. The game is almost over. What's going to happen? Look at verse 7 and 8 and we'll be done. Behold, he cometh with the clouds. And every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wait, wail, excuse me, because of him, even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. You know what the ending of the book is? Jesus. You say, what are you talking about? I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. Jesus is telling us in the book of Revelation, what you're reading is the end. It's the completion. It's the fulfillment of all of these prophecies that have been pushing and pushing and moving. It's really, it's, we could call it this. It's the story of redemption, isn't it? The history of God's plan for redemption comes to an end in the book of Revelation, and we get to have a preview of it as we study through this book. And so, here's my, I mean, can you give me one more minute? Okay. Remember what Jesus taught us to pray in the, in the book, of, in the Gospels? After this manner pray ye, right? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom, what? Come on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be, how? Thy will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. You know what's so neat about the book of Revelation? As you go through the book, we constantly go from earth to heaven. Back to earth, back to heaven. But here's the difference in Revelation and every other book. In the Gospels, that was Jesus' prayer request. That's what Jesus wants for you and me right now today, that we will do God's will on earth as it's done in heaven, that we will, that we will do what we sang, that we will live for Jesus. That God, we will do, we are God's people, we will do your will. But listen, there is coming a day, and it's in the book of Revelation, where God will decree his will from heaven, and it will be done perfectly on this earth. And when that prayer request will no longer just be a desire for God's heart to man, but it will be reality, because Jesus Christ will be the one in the end who's doing it. Boy, that ought to motivate us, as 2 Peter chapter 3 said to live our lives for Jesus like we have never lived them before. If he's coming soon, and he is, that should motivate us to be holier than we've ever been, to be more committed, more dedicated, more burdened, more faithful than we've ever been before, amen? And God help us as his church, as his children, to do his will on earth as it is in heaven. Does he have any arguments in heaven? No. When he tells his angels to do something, they do it. God help us on this earth as his children to live that way now as we anticipate his coming any moment. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for this chance to study your word. And Lord, you, you know the truths you want these folks to take home with them. So help them now. And I know I said a lot. And Lord, I pray that we would remember and take home with us the truths you want us to take. Lord, thank you 
that you have given us this book. May it motivate us and change us as we study it together like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're not going to have a come forward invitation tonight, but if we can help you in any way, we'd be glad to do that, okay? God bless you. Have a good night.